Correct on Earthlets. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 101st episode of Space Pinner 2000. A podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD, featuring Judge Dredd for July and August 1983, Progs 325 to 329. This week, Skiz reaches its climax, Rogue Trooper fights the press, Sam Slade gets back on the case, and Dredd is a goddamn werewolf! On the case and off the chair, am I right? Whoa! Yeah, um, also this is our 1-5 prog issue of the year, so it's kind of an interesting one. And uh, just so, ev- in case anybody was wonder- wondering, I did manage to survive taping the 100th episode. Thank you very much. That's, <laughs> <laughs> it, it was uh, fantastic. Uh, I'm still drunk. I would say that for me it was touch and go. To, um, at least after the taping was completed, there were it oh, was God. moderate times at best. Uh, anyhow, it was the best of times. It was the blurst of times. <laughs> you stupid monkey. Um, so if you want to read along with us, you'll find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dredd, the Complete Case File 7, Robo, uh, Rogue Trooper Tales of New Earth 2, Robo Hunter the Droid Files 2, The Complete Skiz, and then, of course, the relevant time twisters are collected in the Complete Alan Moore Future Shocks. So let's get things rolling with... Thrill One Robo Hunter. Man, he is just uh, not having not having a good time with chairs. Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> so, script robot uh, script robots are Alan Grant and John Wagner's Grant Grover. Art robot Ian Gibson. Letting robot Steve Potter. So yes, we meet, catch back up with Sam Slade inhabiting the body of his clone Sam Scum, and he's managed to escape prison by changing the Time Stretcher Punishment Chair into a makeshift time machine, and he now finds himself strapped into that chair in the middle of the street in Britsit. He's been there for at least a day. So I guess I, I might actually test this if I, like, get in a chair, if I bring a chair into mm-hmm. the middle of London and strap myself to it. I mean, just, will anyone help me? Well, <laughs> I feel like it's a good question for any uh, situation. I feel like someone would, or at the very least, the cops would free you um, because you have become a viral video at some point. You know what I mean? <laughs> but only then. Only then. Uh, so, the uh, finally, the garbage men, a.k.a. the dust droids, arrive, and they again refuse to, to rescue Sam from the chair. Well, so it's like, it, are they garbage men? Like, because they seem to be looking for things of value. I right? guess, like, I don't I, know. I guess, like, Dust Man is different than Garbage Man, I guess. Maybe. But maybe also they just kind of get to a point like everybody else where Sam's like, hey, you got to free me. And they're like, whoa, I don't want to deal with your issues, buddy. Just I, I leave like your kinky sex stuff to, to your show. operation, right? Like, mm. like if, it's, if it's good and it ain't broken... Like, we can sell this. Right, like selling all those extra walks from um, that company's supply. Um, I'm not saying that's how I know what rag and bone men are, <laughs> because I listen to a podcast. <laughs> but it is how probably I know what rag and bone men are. Indeed. So, back at the hospital, Sam Slade's original body... Um, 
uh, or sorry, back at the hospital with Sam Slade's original body, our guys get the message of Sam's existence, and it's finally reached back to Hoagie. They're skeptical about this, but Hoagie goes to investigate. Um, when Hoagie finds Sam, Sam gives him the lowdown, and in his response, Hoagie draws his gun and threatens Sam. <laughs> it's pretty great. Uh, it's the first time I've seen Hoagie with a gun, and I've never been more afraid in my life. I'm pretty sure he's using Sam's gun. <laughs> Like, he's taken it from Sam's body and is now using it to enforce his robo-hunter dreams. Um, Uh, An idiot with a gun. Yeah. Luckily, Sam... in America. Oh, damn. Sam does get Hoagie to free him, and finally our heroes are reunited. I hug you! I kiss you! But now, it's time for revenge against Deller, the controller of the TDMX. Hoagie is, or rather, Stogie is very, uh, yeah, hands-on yeah, he will, in his he, approach. That's his, uh, like, I don't know, su- uh, Latin tobacco charm, I guess? <laughs> well, there's nothing I like more than a fine, hand-rolled, Robo-Stogie. sentient Stogie. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Sam attends his own funeral, and the, and the priest is pretty down on him until Sam pulls his gun. It's a pretty cool eulogy, like, as far as I can tell, Sam Slade lived by the gun, and he died by the gun, and that's how that goes. <laughs> that's kind of awesome, like, by a lot of standards, but also, you know, Sam, you're back, and everyone was, like, saying before how you shouldn't be a total dick, and then you're pulling a gun on a priest, probably not doing you right, or rather, I shouldn't say priest, it's a vicar. Yeah, he puts he's a robo priest. Yeah, anyhow, <laughs> but um, so it's time to catch Deller, and I really love every time we start a prog. There's just a couple narration box explaining this story so far, and they're really doing a yeoman's job of talking about how like oh, there's a whole clone thing and God knows what else. <laughs> this page is just literally text. Yeah, so and I mean it, that literal sense ah no gosh it looks like, like there's like a king <laughs> it looks like there's a king tut exhibit that's about to open in britsit and it's pretty oh, clearly God. deller's next target so he get so sam gives stogie a job he I goes guess hide in a in a sarcophagus yeah. hat yeah 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 he they, they go to the exhibit and stogie hides in the display room and then he and then stogie walks lens the cigar walks like an egyptian through the security system mm-hmm. and climbs inside the famous desk ma- death mask of, Tink- of King Tut. Who, as we will find out later, is, you know, he's kind of a smoker. I guess. Um, now we wait, and two days later, the TDMX appear. Uh, the museum's security is so tough, the TDMX just decide to enter by force, blowing everything up and escaping with the treasure of King Tut, Togi included. It really, as you do. Totally. Yeah, there's no reason to be uh, to be nice about it. Stogie's on the radio with Sam until they enter a spaceship and lose contact. It's pretty nerve-wracking, and it gets rough when we learn that Deller has this dope teeny mech space station where, or, or maybe spaceship, where he keeps the spoils of his various jobs. It's it's uh, it's very Doctor Evil. I like that oh, it's extremely. just like the face of a teeny mech. Absolutely, yeah, definitely. Uh, Stogie tries to radio Sam, but Deller hears him. He's been rumbled! Oh man, I'm gonna grab this Stogie, see what's up, and be, I guess, in uh, in sort of hilarious 
bad guy yeah. fashion. Absolutely. Like, yeah. like he's like dumbfounded by the things that he's saying and kind of agreeing, which yeah. I like because it's so far in the future that people just sort of accept certain realities. Right. Yeah. So, uh, Carlos Sanchez Robostogi takes over the narration, uh, next and he starts trying to explain his presence to Deller. He says he's Mustafa Stogi, King Tut Cigar. And it's like, did they have robots in ancient Egypt? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, man. No, it's like they had all this. He was smoking all the time. And like, and, hey, I'm telling him like black lungs and all uh, this stuff. But So did they have like robots with, with radios and grappling hooks too? And Stogie's like, uh, stab you in the hand. And he's on the run, <laughs> attacked by T.D. Mac. It's a good way Phoenix. to do it, but you know what's even better improvisation than just stabbing a dude with a hook is uh, jumping into the mouth of a teeny mech. Yeah, the barrel of a teeny mech's gun so that you get shot across the room to safety. Caramba! On the run, Stogie manages to uh, velocity trap his way to the flight deck, which is Die Hard in a Spaceship. I looked it up. Um, really? He, yeah, that's not a very good movie, honestly. Um, I he really watch it. <laughs> <laughs> but he realizes he's in orbit and he starts calling home to Sam from the space station from the uh, from like the flight deck there. So Sam and Hoagie get the call and they head up to Deller's Mickey Mouse shaped uh, spaceship. It's a bunch of teeny mech heads and kind of a, a Mickey Mouse formation. He's going to get slayed, scummed, and hoagied. <laughs> Let's not spend too much time thinking about that last one. Yeah. Sam tries to sneak aboard by pretending to have engine troubles, but his voice is recognized by the uh, TD Mech ship computer. The weapon systems start up, and Sam scrambles for his spacesuit as Stogie distracts Deller aboard the ship. Sam and Hoagie escape their ship as it explodes and try desperately to avoid laser fire in deep space to get aboard a space station. So it's basically how we ended up one of the last Harry 20s. Um, <laughs> All I'm saying is that if you painted your spacesuit black and then also painted your name on the head of, helmet of your spacesuit, you probably would have snuck in just fine. Ooh, Dan, da Dan Dare style. That's an ultra callback. <laughs> Dude, that's what I'm talking about. Dan Dare's dope. They know how to sneak onto a space station. It's true. Next time, Southern Fried Slade. Oh, that sounds delicious. Yeah, should be good. Yeah, so we're going to finish up this storyline next episode. We're really getting towards the end of Robo Hunter here. I thought this is kind of fun. Just a chance for Robo Stogie, for a Stogie to be kind of silly, which I appreciate. Um, and yeah, just, you know, general hijinks. Pretty good. More Stogie, more better. I'd say, like, the second half was more bam, 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 which is yeah. what I appreciate. And a lot of it was build up to this. I mean, it's true. I, I just, I remember the last time we read through this and it was just a whole slog. And now it feels like it's actually at a decent clip. Yeah, it's reached the point where we're getting to the action parts as opposed to the setup parts, I think. Yeah, it feels good. Yeah. And speaking of uh, cutting to the action, of traveling through time to find your clone self, something like that. Um, oh, sorry. Speaking of the secrets of the universe, it's Thrill 2 Time Twisters. <laughs> so, bunch of time twisters this week. First up, we got Eureka, script robot Alan Moore, art robot Mike White, letting robot Peter Knight. Uh, so, Fox, we're in a spaceship. We're looking for aliens. They haven't found any in three years. Everybody's getting bored. Morale is low. Man, I'm into this uh, time twister. Yeah. Future shock? It's a future shock, right? Oh, sorry. Yeah, this one's a future shock, I think. We're, we're, we're starting to get more more and more shocks uh, mixed into the mix here. Feels um, good. Yeah. 
One day, Marty Kressler has an idea that maybe an alien could be more than just a little green man. It could be like an object, an animal, maybe even an idea. Uh, he keeps on like this, and everybody thinks it's pretty stupid, until six months later, when Marty says he's found an alien, and it's an idea in his head. It's He definitely knows it's an alien, because it's not something that you could have just thought of. It was a yeah. completely alien idea. He's clearly insane, and everybody turns his back on him, except for Elaine Kennedy, who hears the idea, and starts grinning crazily as well. Uh, and, like, eyes wide open. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, it seems hearing the idea infects you with it, and soon the story's narrator is the last person who hasn't heard the idea until he's cornered and forced to hear it, and then he's on board, and it's time to go back to Earth and share this idea with everybody there. The idea seems to be something along the lines of all events happening at once, and this proving that time is just a figment of the mind, but Tharg censors the rest of it, uh, which is kind of funny. Plus, See Metal Gear Solid Five for more uh, kind of like depth on whoa. this subject. I just want to say that like it doesn't even make sense because time exists so that everything doesn't happen at once, just like space exists so that everything doesn't happen to you. Anyhow, uh, well, so like Metal Gear Solid Five explores the idea of language being a virus, ooh, like, like something a snow that crash. affects you. And, uh, and like, the more that you hear of it and the more that you hear ideas and the more that you are exposed to things, the more it sort of propagates itself. So it's kind of an interesting thing because that, that's more of what I got out of this than just, like, exactly what they were saying. It mm-hmm. was that an idea could infect you. Interesting. It's not, it's not just meeting something. It's meeting some anything. Right? Like, yeah. could be the alien. Yeah. Unless sometimes it is a thing and then it's skiz, which we'll get you later. But first... Oh, um, God. <laughs> I mean, can we just make that last? No. Oh, I mean, no. I don't know. But, but first we got The Visitation, a scripter about Chris Lauder as Jack Adrian, art about Eric Bradbury, letting her about Peter Knight. This was just a quick little story. It's kind of interesting. Basically, uh, there's a medieval monastery where a strange burned man died. He arrived a few days ago in a big explosion that killed a bunch of Vikings and attacking a monastery. And it seems like this guy was an astronaut whose rockets toppled and blew up. And the force of that sent him back in time. Like, that's what happened. But the whys and wherefores aren't really super clear in the course of this story. You know, I, I just, I feel like if they didn't show the NASA thing at the front page, it would have been a what a twist time twister at the end. Yeah. As it is, just kind of a, whoa, here's a bunch of weird puzzle pieces and they're put together weirdly, I guess. <laughs> hey, by the way, the guy is saying a weird thing. So you're just reading it the whole time trying to say, so what does... So blow art mean saying it's a blowout. Whoa! Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yep. Oh look, so, he's a NASA guy. Exactly. Uh, next up is the startling success of Sideways Scuttleton. Cool. Uh, Scripter about Alan Moore, art about John Higgins, letting about Jack Potter. So okay, Fox, we're we're walking through the streets of London and we're accosted mm-hmm. one night by a guy in a nice suit, Sideways Scuttleton. He tells us his life story. Um, as a lad, he learned that with a twitch of his back, he could travel between parallel worlds. Naturally, for cool. it's cool, yeah. He naturally first goes to the world where Nazis won World War II, because that's all that the <laughs> where apparently completely Earth is completely bordered by parallel worlds where Nazis won World War II. Um, but Been in the high tower, right? Yeah, he finds a way to make it pay for him by selling surplus jackboots. <laughs> 
to um, Nazi Germany, to Nazi England, I guess. Which really is just the knee pads of the world in which they win. It's true. <laughs> knee pads of the future. Um, <laughs> he uh, Later he finds a world where Vincent Van Gogh didn't kill himself, so he buys his, all of his paintings off of and, and sells them here as undiscovered masterpieces. He, as you do, I guess. Yeah, he's kind of an he's kind of does things kind of evilly, you know. He like finds worlds where um, there's still alive Marilyn Monroe's and house painter Hit- Hitler's, who he uh, hires to do body double work and stuff. Another one of these time twisters where the main way you make money off of time travels by making movies, I guess. <laughs> and finally. But but finally, while while delivering some worthless Confederate money to a reality where the South won the Civil War, he twinges his back and loses the knack. No. Yeah. Now he can tra- still travel through realities, but he can't go back the way he came, and so he's stuck hopping from dimension to dimension. He's stopping us to see if he's finally made it home, because this seems just like the world where he left. Naturally, because we're cool dudes, we enjoy the story, and we offer him a pound for his trouble for telling us something so inventive. But Skeleton freaks out, because in his world, pounds are paper, not coin, and he jumps away! No! He was... uh, Dude, this is just the the whole thing of... uh, What is the... What the fuck is it called? Sliders! Yeah. Sliders stole this idea for their first episode. Yeah, because I'll I'll tell you that the joke is that um, the Brits uh, changed to to a pound coins in 1983, like like a couple months before this comic came out. So even if he'd been lost for a couple months, the the change wouldn't have taken place yet. You know, not even knowing that context, I was like, oh, it's like the gate. It's like the creaky gate in sliders for that. Right, where the gate got oiled, and like they were also looking like it, like uh, some improbable team had won the Super Bowl, and like Bill Clinton had been arrested or or, or had been like indicted for lying about sex and stuff. And it was like, this can't be our world. This world's too crazy. Listen, like, comment, subscribe if you know what the fuck we're talking about. Sliders was such a missed opportunity of a show. It had Gimli in it, or Sala in it, as I like to call him. All I've got to say is, like, that first episode promised so many Power Rangers-esque adventures and ended up delivering us Power Rangers-esque adventures. You know what I have to say to that, Fox? What's that? Sliders. Um, (laughs) Next up, it's the Hitler Diaries. Script robot Chris Lauder is TC Cribbling. Art robot Mike White letting robot Peter Knight. So there's a lot going on in this one, Fox. Um, In 1983... There was a book called The Hitler Diaries that was released, and it was super popular, but eventually revealed as a hoax. But this guy, T.C. Cribbling, has a more complex story to tell about it. Like, a month ago, he was working at an intelligence agency and was sent to an experimental time machine to verify The Hitler Diaries. Um, he heads out, he meets the German doctor in charge of the time machine, Kruppenkaiser, who created the machine. Yeah, sorry, I said that before, but... uh. Whatever. He finds Cribbling familiar, but listen, he wasn't a Nazi. Get out of here. Um, As you say. In the past, Cribbling is confronted by a Nazi soldier who turns out to be a co-worker who was sent back a week after Cribbling left to check on him. The pair meet a young Kruppenkaiser, then a Nazi officer, and they head down into Hitler's bunker where it's quickly revealed that everybody there is a time traveler taking notes and stuff on the scene, even Hitler himself. 
Oh God! It's really? a real, it's a real of uh, the man who was Thursday situation. <laughs> That's a good book. Anyhow, um, with time travel being weird, Cribbling has an idea. He basically is going to fake his own death to get people thinking time travel doesn't work. Blackmail hey. crew. Yeah, what? I was going to say, hey, do a whole um, uh, Back to the Future Two situation, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. He, uh, he, he makes everybody. He makes it seem like like time travel doesn't work. He blackmails Krippen Kaiser with his Nazi background to give him the time travel technology, and then just turns it into a giant forgery racket, selling forged work of arts and stuff up and down the timeline. And we end with a bunch of dudes painting fake Mona Lisas under the watchful eye of actual Leonardo da Vinci. Who I really love at the end is like, no, no, no. This is all wrong. His smile's all messed up, buddy. Yeah, listen, if there's one Renaissance painter I feel like would be super down with a time travel-based art scheme, it would definitely be Da Vinci. But whatever. Dude, I mean, the man was out for dollars and scrap. That's right. Uh, Our final future shock is Dad. Script robot Alan Moore, art robot Alan Langford, letting robot Steve Craddock. So... This one's this is the future shock and I and it's just a nice two pager. There's a spaceman who's been locked outside a space house by his robot dad, robot space dad, who is lecturing him through a space intercom. Um, it looks like the spaceman was gonna mess around with the robo dad in some kind of 2001 situation. Anyway, um, it soon becomes clear that Tony the spaceman was killed by a meteorite that bust a hole in his face in his helmet, and he's been standing there dead for quite some time. Yeah, he's pretty dead. He's looking like a he's looking like a dried out skeleton. That's right. Oh, it's the distant future, and the only thing that's still alive is our scolding dads. Bah, bah, bah. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. Yeah, I hate my dad, bro. <laughs> I, I just I just feel like my dad wouldn't want to be there scolding me until infinity. <sighs> Mine would. Anyhow, um, let's... <laughs> Love speaking. You, bro. Speaking of unlikely progenitors, Fox. Oh. Like a goddamn wow. white werewolf. I, just, I have. Yeah. That's great. It's Thrill 3, Judge Dredd. So, scripter about John Wagner and Alan Grant as TV Grover, art about Steve Dillon and Ron Smith, letting robot that Tom Frame. All right. So, listen. Yeah, Tom Frame aside. Conrad, do you know what happens in like four out of five of these things? Which is enough for me to say more than half and greater than a hundred percent. What? Werewolves. Ow! Werewolves in Mega City One. I just, I'm so happy. There's so many dogmen. And I'm I not saw, saying I that. I saw a werewolf at Otto Sumps the other night. His hair was perfect. <laughs> hey, dude, coming out of Otto Sumps, his hair would be perfect. It's well, true. Perfectly horrible. But yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Yeah. So, Fox, people are turning into werewolves. It's pretty rough. Um, Dude, no. <laughs> I, I believe you meant a different R word, which is pretty rad. That's true. Who wouldn't want to be a lycanthrope? Totally. I think, um, at, so we see Dredd and Magruder, Chief Judge Magruder, walking past him. I think it's interesting how different uh, Dylan's Chief Judge Magruder is from Mascara's. Mm. Like, she actually Definitely looks a lot, looks a lot older. Yeah, she looks a lot more like sort of what I think of as her as her ultimate form here than Magruder is than uh, than Ascara is currently drawing her, just to give you an idea of stuff. 
But um, anyhow, she and Dredd check in with Tech Judge Cassidy, who's isolated the chemical that causes like ly- lycanthropy. He's calling it by Cassidium. This, by the way, I love Cassidy. <laughs> He's calling it Cassidium. Um, all similarities between this character and the one that Steve Dillon would draw named Cassidy in the Preacher comics is, of course, purely coincidental. Or is oh. it? Oh. Because Cassidy's oh. a vampire, an immortal vampire in that, right? Anyhow. Oh. <laughs> Cassidy has developed a cure. I know that comic book that you said, Conrad. I don't yeah. know a lot of comic books, Conrad, but I know that comic book. I know that comic book. Yeah, coming to our coverage of uh, the Judge Dredd magazine in like 10 years <laughs> or five years, oh. probably. <laughs> Anyhow. I like Pritcher. Mm-hmm. So, Cassidy's developed a cure, but it will have to be introduced to the the source of the Cassidium somewhere deep in the Undercity. Dread, of course, is on the case. The mission, neutralize the Cassidium, kill all the werewolves, bet! Um, in the underways... Oh, sorry, go ahead. So, bro, what do you gotta do? I guess I gotta go find these werewolves and, you know what I gotta do? I gotta go into the Undercity, like a crazy, awesome... Judge Dread movie should definitely be made because if you're gonna make Dread two, I'm just saying you could send him into the Undercity because you don't need a lot of like locations for that. You just need a lot of you just need a lot of rooms to look like they're destroyed. Hashtag Hollywood, listen to me, please make Dread two in the Undercity. I feel By the like end of this, you'll understand why. I feel like at least three Dread sequels will also be coming to our coverage of the Judge Dread magazine sometime far in the future. <laughs> uh, dude, I, I want, I would love to cover yeah. Dread 2002? Yeah. 12. Oh, well, I'm sure we will. 2012, no, you're right. Yeah. I would love to cover Judge Dread 2012 when we are yeah. in 2012 of the comic books. We absolutely will, dude. That's my promise to everybody. We're going to cover the Stallone hard, one, hard. too. It's going to be awesome. Um, anyhow, um, in the, so Dreadhead heads the underways. He's set upon by begging undercity dwellers, give me foodie. Um, oh. but he sort of chases him off. Dread goes to investigate the way the werewolves got out, which is a crack in the earth near the Norman Pitlick block. Norman Pitlick, a TV director for shows like Barney Miller, among others. And he follows the tracks that end in the remains of Times Square, where he finds a bunch of robots with an old steam engine and a badass white werewolf chained to the front. <laughs> Which really, if you're going to make a statement, I guess you might as well chain a werewolf to the front of that statement. Listen, fugitive robots driving a steam engine down Times Square with a white werewolf chained to the front, being a, being attacked by Judge Dredd is literally a dream that I've had. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's definitely a metal album waiting to happen. Absolutely. So the wolf is apparently the leader of the werewolves, and the robots had to kill 50 of them to claim their prize. Dread's not impressed, and starts shooting. I mean, he is the law, and he is down in Undercity. And Undercity is technically the jurisdiction of Megacity, which expands to all regions at least 500 kilometers in range. Listen, you tell Judge Dredd it's not his jurisdiction. That's what I say. That's fair. (laughs) I wouldn't, because I'm a smart, law-abiding citizen. Exactly. The werewolf is freed, and Dredd goes to follow it under a hail of robot fire. Following the tracks, Dredd is led into Central Park, where the white werewolf leads a massive pack of werewolves around a huge pool of Cassidium. There's only one thing for it, and that's goes straight or, through. Or really just called a giant mosh pit of dudes only wearing shorts yep. while being ripped werewolves. 
I super appreciate their determination to have everybody wear pants in this story. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, wearing Dread- pants in the story. <laughs> Dread goes straight through, tosses the Cassidium into the pool. He succeeds. The neutralizing agent goes in there, turning it into harmless brown algae. Now all Dread has to do is escape, but that's easier said than done. Dread fights his way clear of the werewolves in a series of badass fights, using all the weapons he has. He manages to get free, but his job isn't done because all the werewolves must be destroyed. He plans his next move when he's attacked by the white werewolf who bites Dread. So what happens, Conrad? Let me tell you. Yeah, let me please. tell you what happens here. This werewolf he bites Dread. All right, so mm-hmm. Dread's like, oh fuck, I'm I'm totally bit. And he's, he's like, he's feeling like he's against the fences, but he's literally against the fences, saying he's been cut to ribbons, which is a very not American thing to say, but we'll move past it. So what does he do? He's going to improvise. He's like, God damn, this white werewolf in a, in almost like a Moby Dick, Moby Dick-esque situation is coming at me. What am I going to do? And in the crescendo of the music is playing, it's in the way that you use it! He shoves the fucking pull cue through the god... I mean, it's, it's a fence movie. post! It's a fence post, but, like, I'm imagining Tom Cruise just shoving a pool cue through a white werewolf's chest in, in like, wow. the 80s movie I wish had happened. That's a much and different ending from Color of Money than I recall, I must say. <laughs> I'm just saying... Like, as soon as I saw that, I was just like, I was thinking of some of the way that you use it. And it was beautiful because he pierces. Yeah, it goes all the way through. It's awesome. And he's just like, oh, fuck, I'm all fucked up. And then he's like, how do I deal with this situation? And how he deals with it, Conrad, it's just so fucking cool. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. Yeah, Dredd feels himself losing control. So, or. He knows he'll be a werewolf soon as time is limited. So he prepares to kill all the werewolves and then himself, setting a trap over a bubbling rad pit that he's lined with explosives losing control of himself he orders his bike to play the howl of the white werewolf this draws in the other wolves they come running as dread begins to sprout hair from his chin and his teeth sharpen so what the fuck do you do i guess you just explode all the werewolves yeah the explosives go off and all the werewolves fall into the rad pit except one grud damn werewolf judge dread and then literally the coolest setup i will say this after yeah. making it this far through dread conrad uh-huh the coolest setup ever in dread history happens <laughs> before mine eyes it is momentary it is like three or four pages long yeah but it's literally the coolest thing i've ever seen in yeah. dread yeah where dread wanders through the undercity looking for blood he comes across some scavengers and falls into their pit trap they start baiting them the way that you use it <laughs> they start baiting them with spears and stuff they get chased off by judge prager Oh, God, I uh, pr- I want this man to be my father. <laughs> Prager goes to kill the werewolf, but recognizes it as Judge Dread. He hits the Dread Wolf with stum gas, chains him up, and carries him to the Undercity entrance. He's like, hey, bros, hold on, yeah. I'm not coming out, but we got one coming out. Here, here's Judge, here's Werewolf Judge Dread. See if you can do something for him. Joe then- Dread, even this guy. Old as he might be, we'll carry Joe Dredd to this yeah. fucking door. Then he turns his back 
and heads back to the Undercity to continue his long walk. No, it's... No, 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 no. So it's it's like the most action movie thing to happen, right? So <laughs> it carries him all this way. Yeah. Who goes there? Judge Prager took the long walk four years back. Got something for you. A judge? What you got for us, Prager? This. It's Joe Dredd. It's the werewolves got him. I'd better get him to medbay quick. <laughs> hey, Prager. How are things down there anyway? Grim. And then they just <laughs> sh- 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 fucking close, close the door the behind door. him. Behind his ass. It's the coolest. It's pretty cool. It's literally the coolest thing that I've ever seen in Judge Dredd. And I want you to ruin this for me in front of God, myself, and listeners. Does Prager ever come back? Yes, but not for a long time. Oh, that's so great. That's so satisfying. And, and by long time, do you mean more than 10 years? Yes. Oh, that's even better. Wait, does he come back for the 90s or the 2000s? Uh, let me double check here. It's hard because when you look, I'm, I'm going I'm to tell kids at home too, the hard thing about looking up Judge, Judge Dredd characters is you put in Judge Prager and I get a bunch of entries for like actual like real judges with the last name Prager in like America. We just kind of like running for office and shit. Oh, oh, that's a lot less fun. Let me start again. Do, 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 but do. Conrad, he'll be, he'll, be, he'll be back in 2003. Oh, perfect. So we missed the thing that you tell me is the worst time ever, and we just skipped to the good times where people are like, oh, hey, remember that? Do you know what that tells me, Conrad? That remember when things got good again? At these things and then decided to bring someone awesome back. I mean, I think we'll see that a little bit with a lot of these things, actually. Like, a lot of characters sort of, like, the, the mid, the mid, like, the early thousands, like, between, like, 13 and 15 are when they start bringing back a whole lot of older characters and stuff. But well, that's, something to, that's something to talk about a long time from now. Like, four years down there, right? Yeah. I mean, four years, so that means that he started the long walk, actually, in the course of our podcast, right? He must have started it um, in 79, right? Sure, tons of judges start their long walk as soon as they feel like they can't action on the streets, right? Yeah, once they get too so soft. So he knows what justice is. It's not just shooting Judge Shred in the face. That's right. It's bringing him back up, saying, you know what, there could be a cure for him, and they can shoot him in the face, and that's yeah. the difference. Oh, yeah. And it turns out that there is, because Dredd wakes up. Um, he sees Judge Corcoran there, and they're both humans. Corcoran is cured by Cassidy. Joke All right. With this whole fucking situation. Yeah. Well, you know, Dredd doesn't mind admitting, Fox, that it got pretty hairy down there. I, that was such ah! a CSI moment. It's like, Things got pretty hairy. I won't be fooled again. (laughs) (laughs) So, in the wake of the Apocalypse War, Fox, weather control is super spotty in Mega City 1. We see... This is such a cock tease of an episode. (laughs) Yeah. We see a weather forecaster, like, saying there's going to be blizzards and rad clouds and general chaos. For instance, there's a giant tornado blowing up right in the middle of the city. Dread does not stop arresting a perp as the tornado (laughs) approaches. Uh, It's basically the best part that we've come to expect about Dread, where he just handcuffs the guy to a post while he flies away. He's like, I'll be back! Don't go anywhere! 
Yeah, and then yeah, when the when the tornado dissipates, he lands on another guy that's mugging another citizen. Because hey, you know what, man? Just because you've arrested one dude doesn't mean you can't just incapacitate another. So you gotta that, arrest a lot of people, like man. You're a mega city judge. But so Dred's pretty tired of this uh, of all this weather stuff. You know, he's not tired of this of of weather stuff, Fox. It's composer Carl Heinz Plitchards in tomato sauce Claterman. So you know, I really feel like Plitchards in tomato sauce is not really helping him with his whole like musical career. Just so you know, Plitchards is another word for sardines. Yeah, um, I looked so like, that up. Yeah, super grossed out. I probably <laughs> wouldn't see somebody named Plitchards in tomato sauce. I'll also mention that the rest of his name seems to be a combo of uh, the composer Carl Heinz Stockhausen and Richard Claterman, the pianist. Anyhow, uh, CHPITSC has an idea for a weather-based symphony and gets rubber-stamped by the Justice Department. His last symphony was 12 robot chickens locked in a piano. This is the problem with paperwork, Conrad. Sometimes you just get approved for bad ideas. It's true. Um, the Everyone should be denied until further requests are made. <laughs> the concert begins with a pair of judges working security. Carl Heinz Plitchett and Tomato Sauce Claterman opens with a long speech about art and the weather. Uh, one Man, patron of objects- Jen. Some dude gets just straight up cudgeled to the cranium. It's like, get to the action! Start the symphony! This gets, like, day-sticked upside the back of the head, which is pretty awesome. This huh? is why. This is why when you enter enter a concert hall, no one says anything because there are secret police waiting to just cudgel you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> the symphony starts and they're with a rainbow, but then a rain cloud begins to form over the audience. Soon and it's, it's a raining. Torrential downpour. The torrential downpour. Then giant hailstones fall. At this the point, the size of human heads. That's right. At this point, the judges decide that th- that's just about enough art for the night. <laughs> and as they approach, time, time to cudgel the dude doing it. Exactly. And as we approach, that's it for this. That's it for Judge Dredd for this week. Next time, requiem for an audience. So, like four progs of like awesome, and then mm-hmm. like one prog of like uh, I don't know. I mean, it feels I, like all filler or yeah. opener rather. I love Cry the Werewolf. It's a great story. I think I've been teasing you with Red Dread becoming a werewolf for at least like three uh, prog years. <laughs> I mean, okay, so it wasn't a werewolf for very long, and it didn't do cool werewolf shit. But but you it's know still what? pretty awesome. Like just that wolf head in the Dread uh, in the Dread uh, uniform, right? So so everyone defaults to like the silver bullet shit, but like if you explode a werewolf, that shit's exploded. If you stab a werewolf through the heart, that shit's heart is stabbed right i mean i i I will say what there was that movie monster squad where they put the where where they put the dynamite in the werewolf's pants and it explodes and his body re-knits itself so there are you know okay consult your local mythology before you start getting real big and bold about how you're going to kill these werewolves with conventional weapons that's all i'm trying to say all i'm saying is but yes i am fine with conventional or even in this case science fiction shit yeah. Fixing the problem. Right? I super duper agree. And do you know what I'm even more fine with? What? Is when you're not even using science fiction shit, but you're going into the what is basically a D&D S campaign of going below your super sci-fi <laughs> city to uh-huh. go and hunt what is definitely a D&D monster 
and then to not even use your sci-fi definitely explosive bullets, which you can just tell your, like, magic space gun to make. You just use a spike, and you spike that <laughs> yeah. shit through the heart. Sometimes like, you gotta get, was, get back to basics, you know? I, I just want to frame for the wonderful lovelies of this podcast. <laughs> this was good. Yeah, it's real good. This wasn't just good. It was yeah. great dread. For yeah, me, and- personally... Because I like, I don't know if you like this, I don't like a Dracula, but I like me some werewolves. <laughs> I even like me a mummy. Yeah. If it's a Mummies are good. Mummy, I just want to say, like, yeah. they're, they're like a rare, tasty treat, but, but, but wolfmen, they're like a, they're like the forbidden fruit of, of tasty snacks. Everyone Whoa. says silver bullet but judge red's like no nah, man you just gotta make their algae brown yeah feels right <laughs> and then i guess stab them through the heart yeah with a fence feels right yeah i do want to say like cry the werewolf is a real famous like one of the top dread stories ever um really yeah it's or it's one that gets mentioned a lot especially because of the steve dylan art and then um just like the craziness of dread becoming a werewolf and stuff it's one that, that gets mentioned a lot um I, I want to say that while the Weatherman one is sort of cut off here and like is not as historic a story, I do love when Ron Smith destroys Mega City One, like when there's a giant um, tornado ripping through the city and stuff. So I think that's good too. Fair as F. Indeed. Okay. So, Fox, speaking of things that might not be fair, let's move oh, to. Wait, wait, no. Yeah, non-thrills, covers, nerve setter, and pop culture robots. Prog 325, stand back, Bert, it's a prog snatch! The Is it? Yeah, the dictators of Zrag are attacking Tharg in Tharg Wars, Return of the Editor, drawn by Eric Bradbury. Weirdly, but, here, the dictator... did it happen? No. Uh, weirdly, the dictators... <laughs> I mean, none of it happened, man, it's a comic book. Um, the dictators of Zrag have the lightsabers, and Tharg <laughs> has the lightning, which kind of is a reversal from who the good guys and bad guys are in actual Return of the Jedi. In the Nerve Center, Tharg Wogan, which is a reference to Irish TV personality Terry Wogan, um, he spares Th- Terry Wogan. Yeah, Tharg does in fact spare us a Tharg's Rag comic by just telling us the story and text format, which I appreciate. <laughs> you know what I appreciated was that the first question was like, "Why don't you fight other people, or don't you have other people that you fight?" Yeah. And he doesn't actually answer that question. Mm-mm. He just says, "I fight them," and also, "Hey, you can find out why I fight them in a thing." And it's like that's yep. not. Nope. Really, what he asked, Thark. Yeah. In the Nervous Center, there's a cool picture of a manhunter from Lyra 6, letters about the Zrags, keeping Prague safe from baby nephews, and a ridiculous, and one of several, actually, uh, letters of fictional one-upmanship between a reader and Tharg. We're like, oh, Thag, I'm an evil invader, come to destroy you. And Tharg's like, ha ha, I saw you coming and defeated you already, because I god-mode everything, even the letters column. Um <laughs> <laughs> There's also winners of the Dread, Dread uh, Graphic Novel Contest. Mid-Prog, there's a review for Return of the Jedi, which is pretty awesome. And honestly, kind of a review of the entire series. Yeah. If you read the end, like, the review of it is like, here's here's how things kind of shake out in terms of how Roja sees it. And yeah. I'll be honest, like, it's kind of true to form, like... Han Solo takes a little bit of a, a backseat in Return yeah. to the Jedi. Or I Return agree with that, Jedi. too. 
Yeah. yeah. They, uh, it's more about the family. And yeah. really, isn't it? It's a movie about family. God damn it. Um, <laughs> I think it's kind of funny how they credit uh, David Prowse as uh, Darth Vader, which has been given way to James Earl Jones these days. Uh, Thar mm-hmm. gives Return of the Jedi 9.5 out of 10. And yeah, like you said, he says... He does kind of call out like how all the different parts going on at once Return of the Jedi can make things kind of confusing. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's later in this prog, there's a photo album of Tharg around the 2080 offices. We see Tharg at a typewriter with a bottle of oil and with Tharg's and with a Bert's new brain, which is clearly one of those orbit toys, which we described in episode 90. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the bottle of oil is Castrol, which really is, is human oil better than... Than like space oil, I guess yeah, so. You got to buy the local stuff. You can't just be importing it from outer space Support all the time. Support your local planet. Yeah, come on, buy English. Um, three twenty, three twenty six. Is this the death of a GI? It's Rogue versus Missile in a it, Brett Ewan's cover. By the way, it's not a death of a GI. Definitely not. In the nerve center, uh. Tutantharg warns us that the second half of 1983 promises through power unlimited, which is including both annuals and the upcoming new and upcoming new series, including Slain. He really plays up that every year is better than the next, which so far by my account it has been. It is definitely Fox's count in our Spinney's judgment. I like 1979 a lot. Anyhow. There's a picture of an ocean-going judge and letters including paperboys defending themselves for folding uh, procs. Well, I mean, hey, they got to deliver, man. Yeah, they can't just, like, drop them on the, on the grass, you know? I've uh, played paperboy. Yeah, you don't a... just throw it into a person or perhaps, like, go over a sweet what? jump and then an oil slick. Hell yes, you do. Throwing the paper at them is the only way to get those guys from attacking To stop those guys from attacking you. Anyhow... <laughs> <laughs> There's a question about Sam's age and the gravestone of every episode of Robo Hunter, which Tharg tried to head off at the past but was unsuccessful about. There's compliments I mean. for Skiz and a blatant plug for Tharg's new worldwide 2080 subscription service. Um, and then I guess it's movie season because this week we get a uh, a quote unquote photo review of Superman three. Yeah, we could just move past this and pretend it wasn't a thing, so yeah. that we don't actually give Superman three any more time than what I just said. Yeah, Moving it's just a on. plot synopsis with some photos of Christopher Reed, and Richard Pryor. What the fuck? What did I just say? Sorry. Moving later, on. later, Specs, the sci-fi book droid, shows up with another Harry Harrison book, The Technicolor Time Machine, which I'm told by one of our buddies from. Uh, Beyond the Sofa is actually the story of a guy who goes back in time for cheap movie sets <laughs> for oh, filming a movie great. and stuff, really? which so many time twisters also use as their plot. Yeah, he just actually, really? it was just a comment on uh, episode 97, I want to say, that just came out. Anyhow. <laughs> the End of Eternity is good. I have not read Conan the Warrior. Uh, well, Conan, yeah, there's Isaac Asimov's End of Eternity. Then there's the Robert E. Howard collection of, of Conan stuff. Uh, one of the stories is Red Nails, which is pretty good if you kind of like, um, just like sort of dark jungle, like, like 
like weird sexuality stuff, which is kind of fun in an int- like in like a in an interesting <laughs> in like way. A personal alone sort of setting. I mean, with candles and you get a foliage. you know, it's a good way to get some good. Um, what's that guy's name? You know, just some good Conan, uh, Conan and lady pictures is what I'm trying to say. Um, Masturbation. <laughs> Got it. Moving what? on. Don't judge me, buddy. Three twenty-seven. You man, I've masturbated to books. I I said that on the air. Let's stop talking about Cut this. That out. Conrad. <laughs> in Prague 327, Dread is on the menu for the White Werewolf. Uh, Steve Dillon, once again, doing an excellent Dread cover. In the Nerve Center, Tharg the Bix uh, mentions that the annuals are coming and that droids will be out at bookshops signing them, which is kind of cool. There's a picture of a death droid and letters asking if one pound is a good price for 140 Progs. I think it probably is. Um, oh, they for 140 a- of them? Fuck. Yeah. There's asking, there people are asking where Johnny Alpha is. He'll be back pretty soon, like 10 progs. There's compliments for an Earthlet's mom and more people telling weird Tharg related stories that Tharg quickly god modes through. Mid prog, there's a micro page with digital yeah. art of Johnny Alpha and, and a picture of Tharg the micro with listings for various games and computer books and a small game with Thar, of a uh, Sam Slade escaping Team X. Then again, mid prog, it's a mechmanic. A collection of sweet robot pictures, including org.an, a friend of DJ1, and a crazy multi-legged robot reading 2000 AD. This My prog- personal favorite, the all-terrain hoverpod. Nice. This prog ends with a dread pinup by Brendan McCarthy. Nice to see him doing stuff in progs. This time he's drawn dread with a big ol' super gun. It's in giant shoulder pads. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, that's kind of a McCarthy look. In 328, I am the la! Steve Dillon. <laughs> Steve D- Dillon drawing one of the most iconic 2000 AD covers as Dread succumbs to lycanthropy and, like, his glove explodes into a crazy werewolf paw. It's awesome. Steph, this is one of the ones that, like, if you're doing a montage of, of uh, 2000 AD covers, you got to put this one in there. Like, this one and Ben 90 being a robot are really 1983's key covers. <laughs> or some of them, at least. I guess there's some more, like, some slain ones are pretty key, too, also, now that I'm thinking about it. Um, in the Nerve Center, Thargandi says <laughs> the thrill power oh. will be increasing a thousand percent in the coming weeks. There's a picture... Yeah. Of, of a Drex Hunter Cyborg. A letter writer asks about Beetlejuicy in terms. A bunch of writers report that the synthesizer player in the Human League wore a Dread t-shirt on a recent episode of Top of the Pops. And 2008 cool. has won a school-wide comics poll. Yeah, it's neat. Again, you know, could add some Human League songs and uh, play it again, Sam, but whatever. Um, we're, <laughs> we're really starting to see a lot of slain teasers in the comic now, Fox. Yeah, like um, in a huge way. They yeah. keep saying slain, but I haven't seen it. So slain. Like, yeah, yeah, I get like it. Like this one has a, has, a, has a half page one that says, would you buy a used chariot from this dwarf featuring uh, yeah. Uko the Dwarf? I mean, like, okay. So any any dungeon master, any DM, <laughs> asks me if I'm going to buy a used chariot from a dwarf. The fact of the matter is, is that if you don't buy it, less interesting shit is going to happen. And if you ask too many questions, less interesting shit is going to happen. Yeah. Listen, Always play... trust your DM. Yeah. Always play... go for the weird shit once you get the weird shit. Play your character like you're driving a stolen car. That's what I always say. Um, so. Boom. 
Prague, 329, 350 robo-machines and 10 Zaxxon electric games must be won! Fox, serious question. The robo-machines, are they robots or are they machines? Are those two things mutually exclusive? (laughs) Anyhow, they're both. (laughs) I feel like both of those things that you said are the same things, but they're not Autobots or Decepticons. Well, okay, so this is... But they're also not GoBots. Okay, I'm I'm getting into it, Fox. Yeah, so this covers by Kev O'Neill, of course, of Nemesis fame. And yeah, um, we got these robo-machines. They are toys that would later be sold in the U.S. as GoBots. Um, oh. which, and GoBots are, of course, the Transformers your mom buys instead of Transformers because they're way cheaper, but also way less oh. cool. <laughs> yeah. These are GoBots? Yeah. I thought they were like knockoff GoBots, in which case I would have felt bad for UK. Mm-mm. Now I just feel bad. We got for them. UK. You guys say GoBots, GoBots are knockoff, GoBots are knockoff Robo Machines. I'm sorry. I mean, it's, like, it's one of these things that, like, like okay, no, no, no. These they toys got... have different names in different places, like uh, G.I. Joe's Action Force in England, for instance. So what you need to understand is that they got Boglins way earlier than we did. Really? Boglins are awesome. Yeah. I feel like they got Transformers also. I'm pretty sure. English, yeah, like, comment, subscribe if you had Transformers as well as Robo Machines or whatever. Like, or comment, if you had GoBots. You had Transformers before of GoBots mm. or whatever these things are. Listen, I like these Transformers because I got one and it can turn into a plane and a robot and a train. So go to hell. Okay, <laughs> actually accurate. I got those all at McDonald's when they did their fucking, like, it's a hot cake. It's a pterodactyl thing. My favorite right? ones are the ones that turn in are the ones that turn into uh, boom boxes and then have little tape dudes that are like little mini transformers. Oh man! I'll be honest. My favorite was the McDonald's. It's kind of like a Stegosaurus, but it was like a French fry, and then it would turn into Whoa. a dinosaur. Okay, I, I remember those, and you're freak. You're taking me to a weird place in my youth now, Fox. Dude, the pterodactyl was the hot cakes. Yep. And the wings were like the side of the hotcakes. Oh, those are great. This freaked me out. Okay. <laughs> in in the nerve center. Um, in the nerve center, Thog oh, explains the contest and starts an ABC Warriors collection con- um, yeah, ABC Warriors collection contest to win a copy of an ABC Warriors collection. Letters warn against using back issues as fly swatters, and there's a recipe for some DIY biochips using like uh, uh, tinfoil and stuff. The contest is to spot the difference between two pictures of Sam Slade fighting a robo machine and then write a 12 word caption of that picture. Yeah, I like the guns a little bit, whatever. It's yep. like, it's there's real... a thing missing on the mm-hmm. thing. It doesn't matter. Yeah. There's also an offer for you to buy one of one or two different kinds of Casio water sport watches. Always fun for the summer. Um... Depending on your preference. Yeah, well, one, one's got a more complicated alarm setup, but it's more expensive. And then this prog also ends in a big Slain as, ad, because Slain is premiering le- next prog. I love it. It's because it's very Conan. With, um, he was seven when his mother, when he saw his mother killed in the death run. Twelve when he had his first warp spasm. Fifteen. Oh, what? Oh no, just what oh. the fuck is a warp spasm? Exactly. Uh, 16 when he escaped his tribe after committing a certain crime. He became a mercenary, a thief, and a battle smiter. He's now 19, and he's on his way back. <laughs> I'm, I, I'll be honest, 
This got me a bit excited for sleep. It's got some good stuff, dude. Ah, super stoked. But that's... What is the secret of the mound? You'll see. We'll get there. We're going to be... I mean, I'm... Listen, Fox, we're like... We're literally one episode away from this podcast being all slain all the time for like three years. So I mean, <laughs> I'm okay. I'm okay with a D and D S quest for three years. You're super into D and D right now, and I think that's going to really, really going to help you when we get when we start slaying. Conrad, <laughs> I, I'm going to be perfectly honest. I'm super into D and D all the time. That's fair. And hey, speaking of um, a party of a different kind, Fox. Oh. It's Thrill 4 Rogue Trooper. Hey, what happens when one of the members of your uh, team decides to be an aerial robot that is also like a news reporter? What happens when you're making a D&D party and one guy has to be Helm? That's like rough. <laughs> that's like an insult to that one character. I, I feel like that's... That's the guy who would normally play what I do, which is get super drunk. But he's the super drunk that is like, I don't care what happens. Whereas I'm like, I'm the super drunk that's like, we're drinking and we're playing D&D. Helm's like a super drunk guy that then gets real bossy, which is like the worst combination. But, uh, so, okay. Script robot for Rogue Trooper, Jerry Finley Day, art robots, Brett Ewens and Cam Kelly, lettering robot, Pete Knight and Bill Nuttall. Just, so, just a, just a service announcement from us. Don't, don't try to micromanage your D and D campaigns. Be cool and be cool about D and D safety. Be cool, bastard. All right, <laughs> <laughs> Rogue is being followed by the Vid Vulture K for Ken, a reporter droid that looks not unlike the torture droid from the first Star Wars movie. That's what I'm trying to say. I mean. Really, there's enough spindly bits on there to make me worried about all of my orifices. <laughs> oh my god, your orifices are in danger, buddy! <laughs> <laughs> Please don't ever say that to me again. I'll say that a lot. Um, oh anyhow, no! It's given no! away. <laughs> it's given away Rogue's position, and a Nort force are about to take advantage of that over the course of two pages, with no less than thirty-four panels between them. Just. So really? many goddamn panels. I, I was not into it. Rogue refuses to answer questions except uh, for Gunner, of course, who starts telling war stories. But it turns out that was all a ploy with Gunner. War stories for two of the panels, by the way. The yeah. rest was just us talking. Rogue, uh, so, uh, with Gunner left behind, Rogue's able to sneak up on the Norts and toss some grenades at him, taking them out. And with that patrol wiped out, the Norts get serious and dispatch a missile to take out Rogue. It's coming in hot. Is this the death of Rogue Trooper? Weird when you kill, like, five dudes, maybe they're like, all right, we need more than just five dudes to take care of you. I mean, it reminds me of that uh, Judge Dredd story where they tried to trick him, and that didn't work, so fuck you, we're, dro- we're launching oh, a thousand God. missiles. <laughs> the missiles One bear- of my favorite things. <laughs> Definitely. The missile's bearing down on Rogue, he can't stop it, and K for Ken asks if he has any last word. Words, Rogue says no comments, but the chips call on Ken to sacrifice himself to, to save Rogue. And shit, it actually seems to work. Uh, the, really, it does. The droid flies straight into the missile, ejecting his news footage as he goes. In other words, a selfless act by what seemed like a rather unselfless character. Yeah, it's weird with these robots. Um, it's weird that robots are better than people? Yeah. I mean, not that I said that. 
but oh, just shit. an observation in general. Rogue is saved, and he drops the tape off with a passing south of patrol. A month later, K for Ken is posthumously given reporter of the year, though his footage can't be shown because it depicts the deserter Rogue Trooper. Um, all right. Some, there's some great pinups of Rogue all throughout this storyline, too, that I think are really great. Next up, Cam Kennedy's back on art at a New Earth field hospital where a soldier wanders in demanding oxygen and starts blasting robots and humans and taking air, demanding to be called Sir. Soon, only robot orderlies remain who do his bidding, and the man leads these bots carrying heavy loads of food and oxygen out to a withered forest where he reveals that one of the trees is a crashed missile. I mean, arguably, when all of the humans are dead and there's just one human and you're told that you should just serve humans, that, yeah, yeah. I guess if everyone's dead, you're the one they're serving. These are not super smart robots. Um, no. But the crash missile is the only way that this dude escaped him. Once the items are all loaded, he starts blasting the bots until one calls out. He's a psychiatrist droid that wants to help the man deal with his issues with, quote-unquote, him. Meanwhile, scavengers Brass and Bland have arrived at the military hospital, only to find it already looted. And hey, man, this is their turf. No one loots stuff besides them around here. Yeah, who are you? Here's our card. Get the fuck out. Yeah, they go to find out who's stealing their stuff. We learn who it is first, though, as he opens up to the shrink bot, and it's the goddamn traitor general! Do you know how you open up to a shrink bot? You shoot it right in the face. Well, after it gives its diagnosis, all right? I uh, mean, yeah. yeah. When so, it says you're crazy, you're just going to shoot it, right? <laughs> like, that's what I would do. Kind of. Yeah, so so the TG re, uh, recounts his history with Rogue, the betrayal of the Quartz Massacre, the destruction of Buzzard 3 Space Station, the overthrow of the Glasshouse G um, prison I'm camp. I'm just saying all of things of his own making. Yeah. And then finally, his escape in a missile from the Marauder base, which is in fact the missile he is now hiding out in. The Shrinkbot is making his analysis as Brass and Bland arrive at the Trader General's base. The TG hears them. The Trader General hears them and shoots the, ro- the, the robot psychiatrist and ambushes Brass and Bland. But before he can kill the scavengers, the Shrinkbot declares his diagnosis with his dying breath, which is that the Trader General must hunt and kill Rogue Trooper before Rogue kills him! Oh, God, what are we going to do, Conrad? Well, Brass and Bland overhear this. They say they hate Rogue also and would be happy to finance him in an effort to take Rogue Trooper out. And all that's so nice. The Shrink is pleased as punch about the whole thing, and then he explodes. (laughs) (laughs) So, Brass and Bland offered our financing the Trader General's uh, revenge on Rogue, but they want proof of concept first. So they have him fight a squad of hammerhead war droids. Well, I mean, if you're gonna do anything, you might as well have them, I guess, fight. Yeah, you gotta show that they're able to do it. Droids. Yeah. Meanwhile, Rogue Rogue Trooper <sighs> himself is taking out a couple Nort Laz nests, including one cool part where he just rips a couple face masks off the Norts just as they, as he as he goes to them. I mean, uh, if you're going to make someone drown in death air, I guess that's, right. that's the way to do it. 
only way. Me, uh, at the same time, the Trader General is handily defeating the war droid, and he even does some very rogue trooper style, like, deception and hand-to-hand -hand combat as part of it. Which I think is very interesting just to sort of show him as being a very similar, like, fighter to a rogue fight, which I think is a cool, like, wrinkle in all this. Absolutely. Well, I mean, it makes the most sense, I guess. Yeah. What I'm trying to say is that, like, yeah, they're from... They're from the you same know, side. They uh, both genetic are genetic troopers. Right? Yeah, they're skilled um, combatants. I don't know if, if, if the Trader General is a, a genetic, tr uh, like like a GI or anything. I think he's just real canny and a good fighter. Anyhow, mm. next time, strangers from beyond. <laughs> All right, and oh man, Fox. Speaking of strangers from beyond, buddy. Oh no. Speaking oh, no. of Conrad, no. things being real sad, it's. Speaking of having your pride, Fox, it's Thrill 5 Skiz. I can't even comment. I, <laughs> like, I don't know if I'll say anything during this, Conrad, so what I will preface this with is, like, I'm, I'm here, and I will have to say a lot at the end. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So, script. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's real good, man. Script robot for Skiz, Alan Moore, art robot Jim Bakey, lettering robot, robot Tony Jacob. So, having sprung Skiz from the RAF base, Laws has left to clean up loose ends. So, it's just Roxy, Cornelius, and Skiz in their van. Quote loose ends. Qu quote loose ends, indeed. And it's the, f um, and the, f and the first two, Roxy and Cornelius, get out to talk to Roxy's parents. Meanwhile, at the pool hall, Van Owen comes storming in to threaten Laws about Skiz's whereabouts, and do you Laws know what is you not don't intimidated. Do at a pool hall, Conrad? Because I've been I've been drunk at a pool hall several times. Uh huh. And it's like, uh, do you you don't just start throwing your weight around to locals where people know you? Yeah. And you're drunk, and it's accepted. Or you're at the pool hall where no one knows you, yeah, and you're drunk. Bad. And you're definitely not accepted. Yeah. Here, and here in this pool. Drinking. Yeah. This in, guy's an asshole. <laughs> totally. Yeah. In this pool hall in Birmingham late at night, Van Owen, like, Van Owen is the alien surrounded by hostiles, not skids, right? And <laughs> definitely put on by laws, like, and a, yeah, a long in way non comforting him. terms. Yes. It's clear there's some kind of conflict coming, not unlike at Roxy's house, where her parents are not stoked about her current actions. Tensions rising, rise until one of my favorite moments in Skiz, where oh. Cornelius throws a chair through a table and he grabs Roxy's dad and he points up at the sky. He says, look up there! He says, nothing is as important as that, as just this, like, endless sky that Skiz is from. Cornelius and Roxy drive away as her parents stay behind, seemingly no, emotionally and, shattered. And Cornelius says, possibly one of the coolest things, after waiting what I consider a Cornelius amount of patience time, mm -hmm. before throwing a chair through the window and grabbing her father and forcing him to look at the sky... <laughs> He is walking out with Roxy and saying, come on, we're going now, before right. I lose my temper. Exactly. So things That are coming wasn't yeah. even a modicum of his temper. <laughs> totally, as we'll see. Uh, things are coming to a head here. We've got Roxy's dad, we've got Laws and Van Owen, we've got Cornelius, Roxy, and Skiz. 
Uh, the last group is heading north on the highway, and Laws is giving v- v- Van Owen the brush off, and it's almost working until Van Owen remembers Cornelius and Cornelius's van. Which is a blue van, and they are going to look for it. Yeah. In that van, Roxy is talking about how this new life on the run with Skiz will prevent her previous dream of becoming an actress, maybe even becoming a star. Can can I give a... I, I don't mean to interlude too much, but mm-hmm. there is... Um, while you're reading through this, there is a, a series of foreshadowing. Mm. And foreshadowing, and, and what I mean by that is like, it's... So text boxes like description boxes are not something that I normally think people need to read Mm -hmm. in skiz. They are entirely important. Oh yeah. Not only are they character to character, which means that every time you read one of the comics, you're getting a different character's perspective, but you're also getting context, like real context, not like here's the recap from last episode in a different character's voice. A la, Let's say Robo no. Hunter. Yeah, it's very in this internal story. monologues and like giving you way more, like shining a lot more light on how the story's going. Exactly. In the in in three twenty five and three twenty six, it is basically foreshadowing. Like, not everyone will be happy by the end of this. Mm-hmm. And I was reading that like, okay, like fucking like nine tenths of the progs in in this run since we've been reading it, Conrad. Yeah have ever truly meant that. Mm. And it's like, this person wants this. This person wants this. Fucking this girl wants a Mars bar. Right. Right? Like, and and at the end of that segment, where it's saying, like, what each person wants, it says not everyone will get that. Mm. Like, not everyone will get what they want. But certain things are satiated very quickly. As an example, in the opening of this, we see she's cracking a Mars bar. Mm-hmm. She got her Mars bar. Right. Well, well, but, but like in a Quentin Tarantino-esque situation, who else isn't getting what they're going to get? Right? It, like, who is, yeah. who is going to lose in this situation? And it's bringing in this sense of, like, um, suffocation. Like, hmm. while I was reading this, I was getting, like, I was looking. I was like, who is not going to get a thing? Because actually, as it turns out, everything that's happening up until this point and once you hear Conrad kind of give you the step by step, it gets incredibly it's intense. It's getting real tense as we go. Like, Absolutely. Like if if you have not read Skiz up until this point, up until this point, like and you're just kind of cruising with us at this point, <laughs> stop, go back, read Skiz in its entirety, and come back. <laughs> I mean, I it's worth you. it. It's worth reading it, Skiz because it's real good. For sure. I I will not blame you for it, <laughs> and you will be better off for the result anyway yeah. conrad sorry but so yeah continue. so roxy's talking about her dream of becoming an actress or being a star skiz feels bad about this but roxy tries to make him feel better like she wants to be a star he's from one and cornelius actually yeah. makes a joke like oh like i've got my o levels like maybe i'll be an actress which seems like real nice like these guys are actually like getting along and stuff until they have sp- actual chemistry yeah until they're spotted by a car full of policemen with rifles. We've and got it's them. not even the only, like, again, two-thirds of the shot. One person's face completely masked with mustache and sunglasses. And mm-hmm. then just two giant guns yeah. in the frame. 
Totally. So Laws flies into action, raising word around town. Something big is happening and everybody has to come. We get scenes. In fact, the foreshadowing here is also that yeah. you're going to remember where you were that night. Yeah. And I want to say, yeah, like it, th- th- they talk about how everybody remembers this scene, this moment for years to come. But I want to say also, I really like sort of in the narration here, we get more scenes of down and out Birmingham also. Like people mm-hmm. are weighing, like, like, you know, it's like late at night. So people are like weighing an, another, yes. another like half pint of beer versus their bus money home or getting or something to eat. Hamburger. Yeah, or getting something to eat, like, without any money, but, like, you know, maybe, like, their their Giro ch- uh, check is coming th- uh, through soon, you know? It's, but, it's normal life. Yeah, but in the end, word is going out to help the spaceman, to the youth clubs and discos and bingo halls and bus shelters, and Birmingham came running. And this, my friend, he may not be the most physical of characters, he may not be the most easily affectionate characters, but Laws is a man of the people. Absolutely. He is the Brutus of this group. <laughs> and it is effective. Yeah. To a measure that I, I I whatever. I'll get into later. Please keep going. To doing a lot of a lot of butting in for someone who says it's gonna be quiet the whole time. I know, Fox. I know. It's just, <laughs> Anyhow. I love it. I love it so much, Conrad. So meanwhile Roxy tries to reassure Skiz that they'll go to the papers and eventually they'll get him home. But Skiz is really starting to realize that human technology means there's no way he'll ever get home. Like, you know, like oh they've made it to the moon. Like he's from an interstellar empire, man. There's no he's gonna die on Earth. Um but he also, like, realizing this, he decides to tell his first lie, reassuring Roxy that, you know, reassuring Roxy that things will be okay. Um, Laws goes to find Skiz, but he's confronted by Roxy's dad. Laws explains the whole situation isn't just Roxy being rebellious, it's serious business with crazy-ass Van Owen and government guys with guns. Laws, by the way, being her father's friend, yeah. and he gives him a serious fucking reality check. Indeed. Seemingly chastened by all this, Roxy's dad asks to come with Laws, and he and Laws offers him a helmet, and they ride out on his motorcycle. Um, they and the rest of Birmingham are headed for the Spaghetti Junction, a massive overpass of roads, railways, canals, and rivers. I think it was funny, there's actually a Spaghetti Junction in the American Bur- city of, of, of Birmingham also, which is kind of funny. <laughs> Um, Skiz seems a bit impressed by it, at least as a work of modern art, essentially, when suddenly behind them they see the flashing lights and sirens. The police have found them. So it's car chase time. Cornelius is really getting into it now, screaming, I've got my pride, as he runs police cars off the road. Van Owen tells the cops to start shooting, but they are very reluctant to do so. Which I must say, in comparison to cops in 21st century United <laughs> States, is kind of refreshing. Um, as they reach this bridge, Laws puts his plans into action. An army of motorcycles and scooters block the bridge and suddenly have quote-unquote engine trouble blocking Van Owen and his goons. Uh, Van Owen is incensed, but before anything can be done, a whole mass of Brummies show up in, like, buses and caravans and cars to also block the way. It seems like everyone in town is going to come there to help our friends escape. But Van Owen says no! He grabs a police officer's rifle, draws down, and shoots a tire out from under the van. It flips, it crashes and flips. 
And Skiz has a flashback himself to his ship, his spaceship crashing several weeks ago. Van Owen runs toward the overturned van as a pipe wrench, followed by an angry Cornelius, erupts from the passenger side window. They'll get Skiz over his dead body! Roxy looks on in tears as Cornelius runs towards the cops, his wrench held high. He's had enough! He's got his! But with a kadak, Van Owen guns him down. There's a moment of silence. And then the assembled people of Birmingham start to eulogize Cornelius. I knew him well. He used to come in my pub. He was nice. He was my mate. Even the police officers, Ben. Yeah. The crowd starts to turn on Van Owen, and the police sergeant who went to school with Cornelius lets them go. But before Van Owen can turn his gun on the crowd, Roxy attacks him, scratching his face and getting hit by the butt of his rifle. He goes to sh- he goes to shoot Roxy, and Skiz attacks him. Skiz has been totally nonviolent and truthful, but now because of his love for Roxy, he's both uh, he's both told lies and attacked Van Owen things he thought would be impossible beforehand. He's now willing to kill. Van Owen tosses Skiz off of him as well and prepares to shoot them both, but. What are these spotlights now on Van Owen and covering the whole spaghetti junction from above? Lift up your head, Skiz. I think there's something you should see. And it's a full color spread as a giant spaceship fills the sky and illuminates Roxy and Skiz as Van Owen looks on in shock and horror. Next time on Skiz, coming for to carry me home. The end of Skiz. Jesus Christ, it's so good. (laughs) There has literally never been a more effective story mm. that I have read in the pages of 2080 than Skiz. Like, just these quiet, like, especially that quiet moment yes. right after Cornelius gets shot um, is so freaking affecting. You, you really it feel hurts. it. I mean, because we've come to like Cornelius, too, as this kind of funny guy who's got He's his pride. He's the everyman. Yeah, who's got this nobility and strength to him, and for this monster Van Owen to gun him down is shocking. You know, it's shocking you, to be in a kid's comic. And it's shocking in general. Mm. Is that it doesn't just take in a comic book good writing. Like in mm-hmm. a movie, it also takes good writing, good editing, good yeah. like you have to actually have the shot. Right? It takes like these Four parts, these four elements of an actor, the lines, you know, what yeah. you're shooting and how you edit it. In a book, you can just write it. Yeah. But I feel but like it's more I here in the comic. I here. cannot, yeah. I, I believe now, very firmly, Alan Moore is a fantastic writer. Mm-hmm. But he is a fantastic writer because he must soundly work with his artists yeah i mean the there way is, there is no yeah. possible way otherwise yeah jim bakey does a ton of heavy lifting on this for sure just like the uh like the tears in roxy's eyes when he oh sees my God. Uh, when she sees like cornelius fighting Dude, like the, the wrench shooting out from the car totally this the, moment of strength as he erupts from this moment and you hope to god you really do hope that nothing is going to happen to him because so many of these comics everyone escapes fine yeah and he drops dead from a character who you know is already a beast yeah and he is truly made a monster in this moment yeah 
Oh, it's so good. God damn. Um, I, I, I had such a hard time reading this portion of Skiz. Mm-hmm. I was like, I literally had to stop. I, yeah. I couldn't deal with my emotion because again, like <laughs> it's like, oh, it's like Sam yeah. Slade. Oh, it's like cool werewolves. Oh, it's mm-hmm. like another letters page or whatever. And then you get to Skiz, and you're like, this is this is like a story. Well, I want to say that this is really the promise of 2000 AD, right? It's being able to blend these different um, genres together and tell oh, these absolutely. different kinds of story all at the same time. And this is really well, a time where we see funny this happen. alongside yeah. of Sirius. But it's super amazing, it's okay. right? Oh, it's so good. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, if I'm reading, if I'm buying a Spider-Man comic, you know, back in, in, right. in uh, 1986... I'm getting just Spider-Man being funny Spider-Man, and that's yeah. okay. It's perfectly fine. It means that I'm getting like 30-ish pages of funny. Well, mm-hmm. back then, like 25-ish, right? 20, 25-ish? 20 yeah. 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 So, of, of, of like funny and then some ads. Mm-hmm. In this, it's like, in that same amount of pages... I am like, okay, this is fine. Okay, this is hilarious. Okay, this is awesome. And then, okay, yeah, this is really I, emotional. I need to yeah. cry. Like, what? What should I be feeling? I need this next. Yeah, I need this next issue. Like, funny only gets me so far. Whereas the commitment to to characters and what's going to happen to them next gets me so much farther. Absolutely, skiz skiz to me, like. I'm going to tell you this, Conrad. I okay. I didn't think Alan Moore was some kind of special. Like, mm. yes, he he made something that a lot of people said I should read, and I read it. Yeah, and I was like, oh, that's pretty good. That's good writing, and it's good art, and and it's some decent lettering, and and like I got through it, and it was great. Mm-hmm. And this is something I've else, been, right? I, dude, I've been reading these these future shocks and time twisters and stuff. And I'm like, why is this guy lauded for this shit? And this is like, <laughs> and this is like. Holy fuck! If you do not read Skiz, maybe you kind of don't get what comic books can be. <laughs> Man, like I'm su- I, I want to say that, like I, like, I really agree. I can't wait till we get to fucking Halo Jones, buddy. Oh my god, you're gonna blow oh, up! Oh, don't, don't, don't! <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have Conrad. I don't have feelings. I don't cry. I'm a, I'm a goddamn man bot. I don't. I don't have emotion circuits. It's gonna be good, man. It's gonna be I, real can good. Can you tell? Can you tell maybe what was my top thrill? Yeah, seriously. Because let's let's finish it up here, man. So yeah, so that's yeah. it for our stories for uh, July and August, nineteen eighty-three. Fox, what were your top and bottom thrills? I imagine your top is probably like time twisters or something like that, right? I mean, yeah. It's like <laughs> I mean, what what else does this comic really provide except for uh, like? Uh, like shitty, terrible, uh, garbage. <laughs> oh man, horrible stories. Uh, no man, it's skiz. Yeah, buddy. I, 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 I mean, I, I said already so much about it, and I don't know what else more <laughs> I could say other than if you're if you're not reading skiz, yeah, it's kind of a disservice out. if you if you love comics. Mm, wow. Yeah, super, like I, that's super I, strong. It feels real in a way as well someone deserved, who, too. Who, who is again not not super into comics. Um, Skiz hit me. Like wow. I, I love stories. Yeah, I, I love passion, and it really came through. Read it. 
because holy shit, it's going to end in our next reading. And yeah. uh, I don't think I've ever had something make me in, in comics stop and like have to like deal with that before. Wow. Yeah, I think um, it's it was gonna be great. Real fun. It, it it like it presents itself as this bullshit ET comic, <laughs> uh, and and completely subverts your expectations, which I think is is Definitely. exactly what you want out of a story. Yeah. Um, for bottom, I mean, I, I don't know, uh, like nothing. I, I, everything <laughs> was <fine>. great. <laughs> uh, I I guess um, like I'll go Robo Hunter only because it it it. I, I still think what holds Robo Hunter to the exception is like I'm having a really great time and I'm laughing, yeah, and and everything is really silly. Um, I think it was almost there this time. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't doing a lot of fat. It it actually started moving fairly quickly, um, but I wasn't laughing the whole time. I hear you, right? Yeah, that's about it. How about you, Conrad? What was your What was your top? I imagine your top was like some like. Um, what like letter pages? I mean, I thought like okay, so I'm gonna say my bottom is uh, Robo Hunter. It was very, you know, um, a- again, I'd say like it's Robo Hunter's pretty good. I think it's doing a good job. Um, it's just mm-hmm. like not as, like I really liked. Um, I liked Robo. I-, I liked Rogue Trooper a lot. I really like when the- when when the yeah. general shows up. You know, um, those mm-hmm. are good good Rogue Rogue Trooper stories. It's escalating. Yeah, um, Dread was great with uh, the werewolf oh, stuff. God. That's amazing, Dread. Um, and I thought the future shocks were decent. You know, I don't want to. I don't like to count mm-hmm. those anyhow. Um, and so Robo Hunter was sort of in the bottom for me. The top has got to be Skiz, man. This is such a great part of Skiz, and I mean, we've talked about it so much this episode and the previous episode. I feel like as soon as it shows up, we've done nothing but uh, heap praise upon it, and I feel like that praise is deserved because it's a really good story and it's really well told. The art's really great, and it does stuff with characters that we just haven't seen before in 2000 AD of one of these. God. One of these things of this comic sort of maturing a little bit into Especially sort of... Especially this last page when you talk oh, about art, right? Yeah. Like, well, the last, like, the splash color page of the of the ship approaching, like, is surely going to be the cover for this um, episode. Um, and it's just so amazing. And just, you can see, it's almost like, like, a re- like a renaissance painting with aliens in it, almost, you know? Fucking strong agree. Um, I want this print on a, on a wall in my house. Yeah. It's real great. Um, and so, um, again, I'm super sad that Skiz is going to end. Uh, I'll say that I can't actually read the end of Skiz without, like, tearing up a little bit because I'm a big fan of the Don't tell me that. Really don't um, tell me that. But, oh, it's, you know, whatever. Um, but I'm just super stoked about it. And I think we've, you know, it's really just a lot of, it's a really great story that is fun and has real, um, interesting things with characters that we haven't seen in 2018 before and is really I, a, a great example of what these comics can be. I, I really hope you did not listen to this point to color any of your expectations. If you, if you did, <laughs> um, really like grab skiz wherever you can and read it. Yeah. It's on the 2008 store. I'm not saying it's going to change your life, but I am going to tell you it is possibly as a layman, <laughs> or, 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 or even like Conrad as a as a sophisticated comic aficionado, which I consider him to be. Huh. Um, this affected both of us. Yeah, I mean, Skiz and, is... and I think that's something yeah. that's something to kind of consider. Like yeah. it's it's 
I definitely say that that Skiz is one of the stories I've been waiting for us to talk about since we started this project. So I'm super stoked. I've said this before, but I'm super stoked to be right in the middle of it here. It's so great. But yeah, and I hope everybody, as well as enjoying Skiz, enjoyed our show. Um, as always, <laughs> you can find Space Fit Ultimate uh, uh, Tower. Uh, change here, yeah. So you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, on our podcast site, spacespinner2000.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're at spacespinner2k. For everything else, just look up spacespinner2000 and we should be there. Come back next time. As we reach the end of Skiz, Sam Slade begins his last case. Not really. Uh, Dread hears the Requiem for a heavyweight. Rogue Trooper continues to fight the traitor. And a young barbarian named Slain, destined for great and terrible things, at last arrives on our show. Oh, I'm excited. It's going to be good. Yeah. Until then, I'm Conrad, he's Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000! Splendid Rodrigue!